we are things are going to change a lot more than I think we appreciate. But here, all of that is wonderful, and I think it's going to happen. And I conceivably, I think we'll probably the 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 highways with coils of uh, with, with magnetic coils underneath them that will charge your electric vehicles you're driving along sounds very likely to me. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to another exciting second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure, where we will be known to say such things as... On the other hand... Well, I'm just going to leave it blank. Oh, Uh, yes. Well, on the other hand... We could say something else. Ah, yes. Um, um, pigs in space. Oh, we could say that too. Oh, we could, we could say that. Yes. And if you got that, then you understand something deep about our psyche that those of you that didn't understand what we just said are missing. You have a bunch of stuff to talk about and I have a bunch of stuff to talk about, but I was talking a lot last hour. So why don't you talk this hour some more? I enjoy listening to you. What was that? I I, I, couldn't, I, I enjoy listening. listening to you. Okay. Um, our economy is humming along very nicely. That is kind of the understatement of the millennium. Uh, the odd thing is people don't seem to realize it. They don't seem to recognize that we have probably the most robust, healthy um, growth in the economy that we have had, in my memory anyway, in the United States. It is Unemployment continues to run along at approximately where economists say it's full employment. Yes, there are there were some more people laid off the last couple of weeks than they have been over the last couple of years. It's coming back to normal. Uh, the number of job openings is decreasing. It's coming back to normal. Uh, the growth rate of the economy in general is just amazing. Looking down deeply underneath that, in in the depths of that, a lot of that growth is being driven by capital investment in in buildings and equipment by businesses. Businesses don't do that unless they have a fairly good feel for whatever business they're in, that things are going to get better in the future. Um, there's there's so much that's going on out there that is so good. It's just astonishing. Uh, income, personal disposable income is growing at about 3.6% a year. What does that mean? That's income after you pay all your bills and your taxes and you buy food for the house and you pay your mortgage and you pay everything that you got to pay. How much money do you have left over? And 3.6% is a really good number on an annualized basis. It's growing at 3.6%. And that is a a very, very healthy state of the economy right now. In many cases, towards the end of a a financial boom, uh, like in the late 1990s, that number was negative. Personal disposal income was a negative number. What does that mean? That means people are having to borrow money, routinely borrowing money to make up for the difference between what they're spending and what they make. That isn't happening right now. We're the other way around. And Towards the end of economic cycles, when the credit card bills start rising, it's because people are spending more money than they're making. That And the economy may be going great guns at that point, but the end is in sight. The end is near. You should have a um, uh, walk around bearded on the street with a hood over my head. The signs say the end is near at that point. Uh, but sandwich it's not. sign, yeah. Right. We are, the economy looks very, very much 
right now, like the recovery phase after a severe recession. And when the, when the money has built up and the debts have been paid off and we're ready to start going like gangbusters again, whatever gangbusters is, that was in the 1920s. Uh, that was 100 years ago. Ooh. And um, there's just the economy is in such good shape. It is just astonishing. So why don't people think it's in a good shape? Because bad news, there's an old saying, bad news sells newspapers. It doesn't anymore because the newspapers are dying. It sells clicks bad now. Bad news sells clicks. It sells advertising. People are drawn to bad news at a depending on who you are, at a much higher rate than you're drawn to good news. Because bad news is a threat to your well-being, and we're hardwired to focus on bad news. We're hardwired to focus on things that uh, are nowhere near as bad as they used to be, but because they're more widely reported, we feel like they're more scary. It's for the same reason that people are afraid to fly in airplanes. The, the safety record for U.S. commercial airliners is astonishingly, astonishingly good. The greatest danger by far that you have, we're going to go on an international flight uh, next month. And the greatest danger to us is going to be driving to and from the Austin airport. By far the greatest statistical danger. But we don't appreciate that. We don't understand because we, we when car crashes, fatal car crashes, this is one of the things that astonishes me. There can be a major fatal car crash between here and we're in Salado, Texas, between here and less than 30 minutes away from here with multiple people killed. And I very conceivably wouldn't even know what happened. It'll be in the obituaries of probably multiple newspapers for mm-hmm. wherever those people lived, but very little, but it, maybe a little blip in the law enforcement area of the newspaper that says uh, fatal accident, but it's not front page. Right. But if an airplane crashes and kills four people in California, it's going to be news. Everywhere. It'll be headlines across the country. Uh, that, that is one of the great discrepancies that we have when something is unusual, it makes headlines. And when it is not unusual, it doesn't. It's just like the fact that the United States economy grew 5.2%. A real adjusted growth rate of the United States economy in the third quarter is now at five point is now officially at five point two percent. No headlines. Yeah, uh, it's good news. So there, people don't want to hear it. There's a a good book on that subject by uh, Barry Glassner. It's called "The Culture of Fear: Why Americans Are Afraid of the Wrong Things." It's not news if it happens all the time, and car accidents happen all the time. Airplane accidents don't happen all the time. That's news. So that's that's a big part of why people are afraid of things. So I mean you were you were covering this thing really well. I mean, I just got asked yesterday, somebody recognized my voice and said, You're one of the personal wealth coach, aren't you? And I said, Yep. And he says, So tell me what's going on in our economy. Why is it going so bad right now? And I said, Bad? And he says, Yeah. And I said, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. Why is the economy doing so poorly? And I said, well, the economy in the third quarter grew at a 5.2% annualized rate. That, by almost any definition, is a booming economy, not a bad one. Well, then why do I feel so bad about it? And I said, well, you just said you were doing fine. Why do you feel bad about it? Well, when I go to the grocery store, prices are crazy. I don't know what to expect anymore. That's the answer. The unknown is why we feel bad about things. And Believe it or not, things are more expensive in the grocery store than they were in 2019. Nobody's going to doubt that. 
When we, when we talk about inflation, that's what we're talking about. We feel it. All of us feel it. And when you go to shop and the prices are higher than you thought they would be based on your last 20 years, we talked about this over the last 20 years, about how you could have gone to McDonald's during that time period and bought the same hamburger for the same price for 20 years in a row. You can't do it anymore. The prices are different now. They're higher. We had inflation again. That had a lot to do with us outsourcing jobs, of us going to different countries to get other things. And once that broke during the pandemic, the competition on the job market broke. That caused prices to come up across the board, everywhere. Now, what we're seeing right now, and man, I've got a bunch of headlines on this, is that American shoppers are spending a lot right now. They've got a lot of money in the bank. Right now, they're spending more than, than they did last year, and the year-over-year inflation is not as big as what people were thinking it would be. Uh, inflation is running at a, at a target rate now. That doesn't mean we're going backward. It doesn't mean we're going back to what the prices were before, but in some areas, we absolutely are going back. When we look at the inflation numbers, this is the Bureau of Economic Analysis came out with the personal income and outlays and the PCE and all that good stuff. But really what it came down to is car prices, used car prices are falling. New car prices are falling. Electronics prices are falling. Goods prices across the board, uh, washing machines, refrigerators falling, air conditioning falling. Why? Well, because all those manufacturing facilities that we've been talking to you about getting that are getting started up all over the United States and in Mexico and in Canada and in Vietnam and so on, well, they're coming online. We've got more supply. That means that the Best Buy and Walmart and Home Depot, yes, a lot of people buy their refrigerators from Home Depot, which is a little strange. They used to go to Sears for that. Now they go to Home Depot for that. I, it's just where we get it. Those prices are coming down. Well, what prices are still up? Well, car prices are still above what they were. But if they continue on the trend that they are, there are some car prices that are well below what they were in 2019. If you go to buy a Tesla right now, you're going to spend less on it than you did in 2019. If you go to buy a Rivian, any of the new manufacturers and a lot of the old ones are bringing their prices down. Why? Well, because we rushed so hard to try to meet the demand that we couldn't meet that we improved our productivity thoroughly. We can make more with less, and that makes the prices come down. But for right now, this moment, you go to buy stuff for Thanksgiving, you go to buy stuff for Christmas, it's more expensive than it was four years ago. And th that four years ago came from 20 years of knowing what to expect the prices to be. So there's this feeling that things are bad, but this kind of leads on to this Next thing I was going to talk about, over the last, this, this is 60 years, 63 years, since 1960, the pay scale between work, workers and management has changed almost not at all. It's come up faster than inflation across that board. That whole trend that we saw in the last decade or so where people were saying, hey, the workers are getting paid less. We covered that at the time that they were comparing apples to oranges and they were looking at a time when... They were looking at tax returns for, from the IRS, not individually, but in their big aggregates to say rich people are getting richer and then looking at uh, unemployment and so on for two years later to say poor people were getting poorer and combining the two. That's not how you do it. You should look at the same time period each time. 
Because rich people get bigger pay cuts when the economy slows down than poor people do. And they get bigger pay increases when the, when the economy speeds up. So if you just show economy speeding up, rich people getting richer, economy slows down, poor people getting poorer, you're not showing the whole scene. I know that's kind of all over the map, but the workers' pay increase has been going up since 2016 and went up like a rocket during the pandemic. And that's not going back down. When, when people go to get a new job and they step in and they say, uh, what's my pay going to be? They're going to get paid more than they did four years ago by more than the prices at the store have gone up. What's more, when we look at bank balances, they've increased faster than inflation. It is very likely, not completely likely, because individuals aren't the same as the whole nation, but it's very likely because the vast majority of the nation, their account balances have gone up a lot more than inflation since 2019. You've got more money in the bank, most likely, than you did then. So it feels bad because you go to the store and it costs more than you've expected and you've been expecting those numbers for 20 years and now they're not what you expected. They're more. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that the price of eggs year over year is down 22%. The price of beef is down. Now, what does that mean about the future? Next year, the price of beef is going to be way up. Why is the price of beef down now? Well, because a drought hit the majority of the south of the United States over the past 12 months. That caused people to have to pay way too much for feed. A war hit Ukraine, causing the feed prices to go way up here. So a lot of people took their cattle to to the market to sell it. That caused, if everybody goes to the market to sell their cattle, the prices drop. So beef prices are down. Next year, they'll be up, and they may be up significantly. Egg prices are down now. Last year, they were way up. Well, why were they way up? That was painful, 22% down from what it was. But some people were paying $8 per dozen eggs, and we're feeling that. That's that's insane. Well, why? Well, because we had an outbreak of avian flu, and we had to kill a lot of chickens. So we didn't have to kill all the chickens. Uh, and most of the chickens that got killed for avian flu exposure were egg layers. Well, now we're at a point where the egg laying is back on track and the eggs are coming down and milk prices are up. Well, why? Because feed prices for the milk cows are up. Does that have to do with normal inflation? No, but it has to do with how we feel. And when you feel like the economy's bad, I recommend you look at your bank account and look at how you're doing. It's kind of a good thing, usually, to feel like the economy's not doing well because it causes you to make better decisions in your own finances. If you believe that the economy's not doing well, you're likely to leave more money in the bank. You're likely not to put as much on a credit card. So that feeling is actually a good indicator in the current environment. If you feel like the economy's doing poorly, you're likely to do smarter things with your own money. And when we see the consumer confidence numbers being down right now, but consumer spending being up right now, what does that mean? Well, consumer confidence should say, I'm not confident about the economy, so I'm going to spend less. But we're seeing the consumers spending more. That sounds contradictory, but if we look back through history, that's normal. That's normal. If you feel bad about the economy, ask yourself how often you eat out at restaurants as opposed to just a few years back. And why do I, why do I bring that up? Because what we're spending at restaurants has increased drastically, higher than inflation, because we're going out to eat more in the United States. 
We stopped going out to eat during the lockdown of the pandemic. We stopped because we couldn't. There was nobody open. Then the pandemic let up and there was this big boom as people ran out and they went to restaurants a lot more than they had pre-pandemic. And that slowed down a little bit, but it's still a lot more than pre-pandemic restaurant stuff. Same thing with, with hotels. When people go on vacation, they're spending more. And we thought, hey, this is coming off of the pandemic. That's going to stop at some point. And maybe it will, but it's not yet. Uh, and that's, those, are, those are all pieces of a puzzle. Why do we feel like the economy is doing poorly? Well, because we just went through three years of the unknown, three years of a malaise that didn't really have to do with finances because of all kinds of things that came together to help us through it. But it doesn't mean we feel good about things. We still feel like we have been impeded by the pandemic, that we're not back to what we were. But if you look at what you were paying at restaurants before or what you were spending, not paying, how often you were going to restaurants pre-pandemic versus now, you're likely to discover that just like the rest of the United States, you're doing it more than you were. But we still feel like we're doing it less because we had a period of fasting, if you will, of true sacrifice, of not going and doing those things. We don't feel like we're done getting back to normal yet, even though the new normal is way above the old normal. It's weird, but this is exactly what I love to study. It's the behavior of the economy, of the people in the economy, and how we feel about it. And and even when I say this to you, when I say it to people that I'm talking to wherever I am, they kind of go, ah, but that doesn't make them feel better about the economy. Because the emotion of, that we went through during the pandemic, the sacrifices we made, a lot of times not voluntarily, have a bigger impact on our thinking than our ability to do the same things we couldn't do before. And this is great because this is part of the way our brain works. If, if you're really, really hungry and you see... A, a nicely cooked steak, presuming you're not a vegetarian or a vegan or something like that. You see this nicely cooked steak, you should have a reaction. And the reaction is likely to be positive. But if you see a nicely cooked steak sitting next to a tiger who also wants to eat that, your reaction should be a lot more negative than the positive. Even if you're hungry, you're not likely to get into a fisticuffs match with the tiger over that steak. Because part of our brain that says hey, that's scary, holds a much higher weight, a much greater weight than the part of our brain that says, oh, that looks lovely. It gets transferred through the amygdala and the amygdala says, hey, whoa, <laughs> you don't want to go against the tiger. I don't care how hungry you are. We'll live longer without eating this time. And that's where our amygdala is right now of, man, we got beat up. We got beat up. We got beat up. Even though it's been a while and we've done more beating up than we got beat up, our brain is still saying, ouch, now. And in the next five to six months, you're going to start feeling better about that. Not because things are better. That's irrelevant. But because that's how long our memory lasts. And three and a half years is about as long as we can keep memories of horrible things. And the pandemic was a horrible thing. And we're getting close to the three and a half year mark from when we were allowed to go back out and do things again. Mm -hmm. So just expect that. Why is that? Well, nobody knows why. We just know that's how our brains work. We'll figure it out why eventually. But for right now, we know three and a half years is as long as you can really hold on to a horrible event um, without having a treatable condition. 
If you have a treatable condition, you can hold on to it for a lot longer. Uh, but most of us, I mean, 9-11 happened and people said never forget. And there's some really cool statistics on surveys that people were given on what year did 9-11 happen? What year did it happen? These aren't to people that didn't live through it. This, was, this took place during the decade of 9-11, and then people said, what year did this occur? And for three and a half years, people nailed it on the dot. At the three and a half year point, they started putting in years that didn't have anything to do with it. These are people that lived through it, that felt it deeply and understood the tragedy that occurred. This is the way our memory works. If we spent the whole time thinking about how bad things were back then and never moved on, then our economy wouldn't move on either. Our activities wouldn't move on either. We wouldn't be able to function in society if we can't let go of the things that we were mourning or the tragedies or the traumas that occurred. So, there we go. That, that was my long-winded weirdness about why people feel like the economy is not doing well when we're kind of breaking records yep. in growth. I know you've got some stuff to talk about. So I'll hand it to you. Well, one of the questions that probably ought to be raised, and it's, it is a big long-term issue, is there is a war going on in the Middle East. Actually, one of the, what we used to call the Middle East is now called Southwest Asia or the Levant because Middle East is not very politically correct. Uh, it indicates it's a colonial point of view. The What does the, that mean about the Midwest? That says nothing. The Midwest is not the Midwest. It's the center. Well, it's the opposite of the Mideast. And if you look across the continent, you know, you just go down through, the, it's pretty close. It's now so, called, if, if you're on the East or West Coast, you call it the flyover country. Right. Well, that's rude. Uh, yeah, but they do it. Um but this, why is, the, in the past when there have been a war, a major war breakout in that part of the world where the oil, where a lot of oil is produced, the price of oil has gone up dramatically and it did go up to $90 at one point and it slid back down to 75 now. So why, why is that? Well, obviously there's one thing is they're not producing all the oil anymore. The United States is producing a lot of oil, but there's more than that. Yeah. 12, 12 month, uh, one year. Price of oil, crude oil, West Texas Intermediate is down 7.39% while we have a war going on where in Syria, the United States is being fired at by Iran. We've got the Yemen folks are trying to take ships and the... Well, here's, just, here's the issue. Here's the issue I wanted to get to. 35% of the cars sold in the United States in 2024 are now forecast to be either hybrids or electric. Now, think about that just a minute. My wife drives a hybrid, a good one, a Volvo. I don't remember the last time she filled up on fuel. It's been a long time. And when she does, it's just... It's a relatively small tank. You fill it up and you go for a couple of months with the gas tank. You don't fill it up again. Now, that that is where the oil industry is looking right now. The fact that the reality is that electric vehicles will replace internal combustion vehicles at some point in, over the next decade or two. Now, people don't like that and say there's not enough charging stations. They don't charge fast enough. I completely agree. They said the same thing but about then, the Model T because there weren't refueling stations. When the market oh, it, demands it, it happens. I don't remember if it was you or she. I think she was the one who told me about the news story. In Detroit, there is a highway now. Yeah, it's not me. Built that charges electric vehicles. As you drive down the highway, it's charging your vehicle. It's got uh, electric, it's got co magnetic coils under the highway, and you're passing through the, the magnetic field, charges your vehicle. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because we're using this idea. Minute. There's got to be safety violations. If, if 
that highway hit you like a ton of bricks, we're going to have to talk. Well, the to ton the... of bricks wasn't moving very fast. Oh, really. okay, okay, all right. Okay, it's kind of like gently bumping into a building that has a ton of bricks. Oh, okay, all right. That, that makes more sense. But, That's not but as dangerous. But you notice, you notice a ton of bricks if you bump into it. Yes, it's not like something you would pass through and say, "Oh, well, that was a ton of bricks." The the issue is we got this fill it up at the filling station mentality uh, very much I think like the stagecoaches needed to they were called stagecoaches by the way because they operated in stages where they trade horses off uh, they would they would go in a staged distance where they would exchange horses and then continue going sometimes they'd spend the night because the horses ran out after a certain period of time it's not just a matter of feeding you have to feed the horses but a horse will only go so far pulling a wagon before it has to stop and rest. And the filling station is basically that concept still. What if we didn't need filling stations anymore? No, we're not there yet. The people out there that are thinking electric's never going to happen, I can't drive across Texas on one charge, it's going to take me three hours to get a refill, that's not worth it. You're absolutely correct. Don't but do, you, we technology is coming though. We talked about before the before the program started. Uh, I see we we're talking about true AI will be here at some point. True artificial intelligence that can think for itself will be here. And what was it? Uh, one of the companies was saying uh, what year? 20, 2026. 20, Open AI 2026. says end of twenty twenty five. Twenty twenty six will have artificial general intelligence. And I said yes. And within the next few years, we'll have fusion power and won't have to worry about pollution anymore too. And power will be so cheap <laughs> that they give it away. Uh, yeah. uh, and, but we're getting closer. And let's just, just let's think about this just a minute. Uh, and I'm going to tie this into something else that is that you probably haven't thought about. I've got to I've got to throw in a, a quote from Yogi Berra though. It's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. That's right. There are other ways of, in effect, refueling electric vehicles besides filling stations. Jake has talked about in the past the and, and that is a technology that's coming pretty quick of just swapping the batteries out, having a plug-in battery. So you pull up to a place they unplug your battery and plug in another. I think we're a long ways from that too. But I can see that uh, a decade from now, we may very well be in the position that occurred 100 years ago. 100 years ago at this point, there were no highways across the country that a vehicle, well, they were starting to develop them. But you, if you drove across the country, you would be driving much of the way on dirt roads that you would sink in the mud. You couldn't find the fuel, enough fuel to get across the country unless you carried a great deal of it with you. I, I would uh, encourage people to go back and watch the classic movie Smoking the Bandit, where they're driving from the East Coast to Texas and back to do a party with some beer and just watch how many dirt roads they're riding on, how many two-lane highways. That's just the norm. So, yeah, it's not yeah, that long ago. We are... Things are going to change a lot more than I think we appreciate. But here, all of that is wonderful, and I think it's going to happen. And I conceivably, I think we'll probably, the the, the highways with coils of, uh, with, with magnetic coils underneath them that will charge your electric vehicles you're driving along, sounds very likely to me. But here's the thing that we haven't thought about. Our highways are maintained primarily by a federal gasoline tax that is this that was set in 1990. Yes, 33 years ago, almost 34, at 18.5 cents per gallon. That is the majority of money in the United States that maintains the highway system. It hasn't risen with inflation. It's 18.5 cents per gallon. And the infrastructure bills and the highway bills that pass every year to build new highways are dipping into that. And it will run out of money in a couple of years. 
in just a few years, it's going to run out of money and we won't have money to build and fix and improve highways. That Throw that in with the fact that Medicare and Social Security, the trust funds are going to run out of money. Something, and, and this is one of those things you've got, it's worth thinking about and it's certainly worth talking to, to your congressperson about. The reality is that the quicker we address these things, the less painful it will be. Now, traditionally in the United States, we wait until there's a crisis to address it. But the crisis is in the early 1930s, 1933 is the guesstimate right now. In 1930, or 2033, I'm sorry, in 2033, everybody's Social Security gets cut by about 33%, about 30%, 30, 33%. Unless we fix it before then, which there's we not a lot it. of effort to do at the moment. We could fix it. We can fix Medicaid and we could fix Medicare right now. There have been people who have proposed ways, economists who have proposed ways that would work, just like Alan Greenspan proposed a way to fix Social Security the last time he was about to go belly up. And he was the chairman of the commission that ultimately fixed it. But the quicker we deal with it, the quicker it'll be fixed. Uh, there are people in Congress, uh, the only ones that I have read stating this are in the Republican Party, who simply want to do away with Medicare and Social Security. Uh, that'll save us a tremendous amount of money, and then we can lower taxes. That's their thought. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to get a majority of anybody who wants to do that. But the reality is something's got to give. Now, I do I think your Social Security won't get paid or there'll be a 30% cut in Social Security? No. I think because the politicians frankly, the wouldn't get who, elected. <laughs> the people who draw Social Security are the people who, you, you, if, if you go in and vote either early or at the regular voting time and you look at the median age of the people who are standing in line, you will realize cutting Social Security would be political suicide. But it's automatically going to cut. And this is the interesting thing. Uh, we've got two presidential we got two presidential elections between now and the time Social Security goes out under or Medicare goes under or we'll be close to it, at least at that point. And nobody's talking about it uh, at the political level. It, it is one of those things that needs to be addressed. How are we going to deal with this? And the earlier we deal with it, the less painful it will be. Both all those problems, by the way, the gasoline tax, we need to find something else. We need to find a vehicle usage tax, for example, uh, that applies to the people who are using the highways and the corporations that are using the highways that will enable us to build highways because gasoline usage is dropping. It's going to continue to drop and we're going to get less and less money to fix our highways until all of a sudden we don't have any money to fix the highways with. And we build up a trust fund to do that. And the trust fund is going away. Medicare is a trust fund. The uh, hospital trust fund, it's called. The uh, Social Security is a trust fund that's being spent. And it's important that we start replenishing those reserves or we're going to feel a lot of pain down the road. And I spring this up for the simple reason that taxing, it's very similar to taxing um, what a, taxing horse food to pay for vehicles to pay for the highways of the United States. It, it, it isn't going to work. And we need, that's one of those things we need to consider. And that is my soap opera for the moment. Your, your soapbox or your soap opera? Yes. Yes. Soap opera is what I said. Yes. And we're about a out of time for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we've got to give some disclosures before we get started. We've said the name of the program is the Personal Wealth Coach. And not coincidentally, that is also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. The two people speaking on the air are the people that uh, give advice through that firm, but we can't give you advice on the air or in a podcast or in any other broadcast format because of privacy issues and lots of other stuff. So what are we doing if we're not advising? We're educating. 
And just because the firm's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC somehow thinks that we are anointed or um, somehow given a seal of approval or any of that stuff. They don't do that. They are a regulatory authority, and we're required to tell you that in case we say something stupid. Nope, scratch that. We say that plenty of times. We'd be barraging the SEC uh, in case we say something fraudulent or misleading in a way that could cause people to lose money. Um, let's see. We don't pay for this radio program. More on that later. Uh, we do pay for advertising about the radio program. More on that later as well. Um, and you've got a disclosure. We're going through the disclosure at warp speed today. Well, the information we present to you in this educational radio program or internet program, as the case may be, has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. We do, however, warranty and guarantee that all unsaid information on the radio program is incomplete. There we are. Unless your intention was to simply be silent. And that's not ever complete. So it is incomplete. <laughs> if you would like to contact us off the air, we have uh, email addresses, Jake and Jeff at tpwc.com. We have a webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com, tpwc.com, where you can listen to our radio shows going back a long ways. You can list, you find links to our podcast. You can find those on Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, if you want to contact us, those email addresses are there. You can also contact us through the contact form on the webpage. Um, you can read our newsletter there. We send out that newsletter every Friday. Um, as a reminder, this is the last month of our radio program. We're moving totally digital. Um, and we thank you very much for 27 years of listenership. We appreciate you all. Thank you very much for listening to The Personal Wealth Coach. We appreciate you.